Who are they? How did they get here and where are they now? I'm Tyson Chastain, Director of Alumni Relations with Johnson University, and this is the Sojournal Podcast. Have you heard about Johnson University's Vanguard Church Partners Program? Churches who seek a more dynamic relationship with the university are invited to join this partnership as we work together to foster stronger connections between churches, the university, and the students who attend Johnson from VCP. Student scholarships and a variety of church benefits reinforce the partnership of Johnson University with each partner church. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash Vanguard or call Brian Lakin, Director of Church Relations at 865-251-2141. Today we're joined in the Sojournal podcast by 1995 Johnson University, Tennessee graduate, Dr. Daniel Overdorf, who is joining us for the third part of our four-part Johnson University Alumni University uh, series on his book, One Year to Better Preaching, 52 Exercises to Hone Your Skills. Left unsharpened, tools grow dull, and so do preachers. Like a lumberjack who heaves a blunt blade against a stubborn oak, preachers across the world heave murky, anemic sermons across the rims of their pulpits toward listeners who are about as eager and as stubborn as that tree. When tools lose their edge, progress stalls, effectiveness wanes, and frustration escalates. If only the lumberjack and the preachers would periodically pause from the strain to sharpen their tools. That's what today's lesson is about, and that's what this four-part series has been about, helping preachers and any of us who are involved in a speaking vocation of any kind to sharpen our skills. One Year to Better Preaching provides preachers with 52 exercises that will help them sharpen their homiletical skills, and each chapter includes instructions for an exercise, tools, and suggestions needed for the exercise, comments from preachers who completed the exercise and, and their insights, and also some recommended resource for further study. Uh, we have the privilege of having Dr. Daniel Overdorf right here in uh, the podcast to tell us about a few more of these lessons from One Year to Better Preaching, the 52 Exercises to Hone Your Skills. So Dr. Daniel Overdorf, welcome back to the Sojournal Podcast. Thank you very much. I'm uh, honored, honored to be here and uh, looking forward to this conversation. Uh, I really appreciate you doing these series for us. We've learned a lot from our first two sessions together and a lot of really neat kind of insight that makes this preaching vocation very practical. As I said in the introduction, though, to today's episode, it's more than just preachers that this can apply to because there are people who are involved in teaching in a variety of ways. You know, maybe maybe they're teaching in a, in a conference or something like that. It's not just preaching. There are so many other ways in which crowds are addressed and we could really learn from these hmm. lessons. So uh, I hope folks get a hold of this series and don't just think, oh, great, it's for preachers, because it's mm -hmm. it's really not. It's for more than mm -hmm. um, but uh, you've, you've given us some great lessons thus far. Really looking forward to getting into today's lessons with you as well. One of them in particular, so we're just going to dive right in because uh, I'm sort of excited about this one. Uh, and, and the reason why, you know, in a personal context, I'm doing a, a PhD program, and one of our uh, things was about cultural awareness and cultural mm. intelligence and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And so the first lesson that we're going to talk about today is uh, expand your multicultural awareness. So, Dr. Overdorf, tell me why that became important to you, and what's the lesson that you have to teach us? Yeah, uh, I was I was reading a book by a um, writer, preacher named Ronald Allen, and uh, he was writing on this topic, but he, he said he was on a boat ride in the Caribbean, and um, 
He's, he talked about looking over the side of the boat and, and you look down and you see all these different kinds of, of fish. But as, as he looked, looked down um, from above the surface, they all kind of look the same. I mean, they're kind of shadows under the water, maybe a little different shapes, but they kind of look all the same. But then he says he you know, put on goggles and a snorkel and, um, and then got down beneath the surface of the water. And he said when he got there, he just saw this, this fantastic variety, all these different brilliant colors and kinds of fish, very, very distinct from one another. And, and, and he makes the point that sometimes preachers view their congregations just from the surface. Mm-hmm. And, and we look out and it's just kind of a blur in our mind. And we think of it as though everybody was the same. And I remember first reading that, and then I thought, yeah, but in my church, everybody kind of is the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, but then I went to my church, which at first glance, you would say, well, this is a, you know, just a typical white, predominantly middle class church. Mm-hmm. And there were, you know, maybe, maybe 150 people in, in the service that Sunday. But I started looking around and, and sitting just within a few feet of me, there were people with Korean background, people with Jewish background. Uh, a family with Hawaiian background, African-American family, Chinese, Mexican, Haitian, somebody who, who had Filipino background. You're more, and, uh, more, more cultural than you realize. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, <laughs> so, so much more than, than, than what I thought. And then, and then you begin to think even further. Then you begin to think about people from different economic backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, just think civil male and female differences with people sitting there. People with different educational backgrounds. And then some even who... Maybe we're from the United States all along, but, you know, one family who, who had spent most of their years in California, um, another family who had spent most of their years in upstate New York, and now they're sitting in East Tennessee. And so you start, yeah, you just start thinking through it. And it's like, well, on, on the surface, I thought, well, just everybody's the same. Mm-hmm. But, but you really start looking beneath the surface, and there are uh, many, many differences, a lot of variety that, that I think we need to be, to be aware of and, and to celebrate. Mm-hmm. The idea of multicultural awareness and cultural intelligence, the uh, recognition that, like these folks from California, New York, mm-hmm. they bring to their doctrinal interpretations thing a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And so, sure. you know, yeah. when we when we cast our nets over our congregation, we cast the nets as in, well, everybody thinks like an ECC Christian thinks, and right. but the things yeah. that I say here are acceptable among the group, or yeah. you know, everybody will agree with this. Right. And we move on right. from it without really realizing that there could very well be people in our congregation. And maybe they don't hold to our conservative traditional view of marriage or mm-hmm. uh, sexuality, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they're wrestling with these and they're still trying sure. to reconcile things. Yeah. yeah. Or, or you take something, you know, as, as simple as, uh, you know, you talk about hospitality mm-hmm. and what, what that means to me and my upbringing. It may be different than the family who's sitting out there who's from Brazil. Mm-hmm. Or another family who spent time of their life in, in India. And so I think I think we need to be aware. And, and you know, there's the awareness of who is already out there. But then when we recognize that, then we, we can create a more welcoming, hospitable environment for people um, that hopefully then will expand even more the multicultural nature of our churches, mm-hmm. where people from various backgrounds will feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. and more connected and um, the goal is like the worship that we see in heaven where people of every tongue tribe and nation are worshiping god with one voice so yeah we, we hope my, my part of my argument is there, there's probably more of it already in your church than you realize um, but when you realize it and begin to celebrate it and begin to create the most welcoming environment for it then you can actually become a more diverse church mm-hmm. with people from different backgrounds coming to know 
know and follow Jesus through your ministry. And, uh, you know, as you talked about in our last session, talking about a feed forward group, I'm Mm -hmm. thinking, you know, if we get to know our congregation members, and let's just take that topic of hospitality, and we we know hospitality from the perspective of that old couple in the back corner that lives a pauper's kind of a life, and just Mm -hmm. hospitality for them looked completely different from the retired missionary who sits halfway up on the side of the congregation, she and yeah. her husband were in South America for 50 years. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, they bring completely different perspectives on what hospitality yeah. means. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's been different in their experience. And, and hopefully we learn from each other in that, that I learned from the people from South America and the people who are from India and the people who are from China. You know, what, what can we learn? And often it helps us read the Bible in a new light. Oh, yeah. Of course, the Bible was not written into <laughs> 21st century American culture. It was not the original <laughs> recipient. Well, you're saying it wasn't written by a 33-year-old <laughs> white guy from Southern Appalachia? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not, uh, not the Bible on my shelf anyway. Yeah. But it may open our eyes to the fact that when the Bible talks about hospitality, that there may be more depth to it mm-hmm. coming out of a Middle Eastern culture than there is coming out of my East Tennessee sculpture. Yeah, that's one of the things I always appreciated about you know, having the privilege of like listening to Dr. Jerry Matting mm-hmm. talk about his trips to Israel yeah. or to Jordan as it mm-hmm. some of the days. And, and him talking about like the hospitality of the Bedouins. Those yeah, guys. yeah, yeah. It's when you understand that the Bedouins are so much more associated with that biblical culture than, exactly. than what we think of. Yeah. When they do something hospitable, it really bit of the... Mm. Bible come to life, right? You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Cool stuff. Yeah. So expand your multicultural awareness. I appreciate you bringing that into the conversation. You're one year to better preaching through exercises and your skills. Too often we forget that we are a multi-ethnic world and this gospel mm-hmm. isn't white middle America. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which, uh, not to say that we ever really thought it was, but, you know, that's sometimes. So. Yeah. Like, we're all going to default to our own culture. Yes. And so having the awareness that not everybody has experienced life in the same way that I have. And I need to be aware of that, honor that. And, and, and with, with the good parts of other cultures and good parts of other things that people have experienced to, to celebrate. We're, we're celebrating Easter and I can say, you know, so-and-so in our church grew up in this village in southern India. And, and here, here's what they did to celebrate Easter, you know, and, uh, yeah, and bring, bring that in. <laughs> that was great, great stuff. Very good. So that was uh, that's today's lesson one from our uh, third session here of Alumni University, and we're talking with Dr. Daniel Overdorf about his book, One Year to Better Preaching: These Fifty-Two Exercises to Hone Your Skills. Dr. Overdorf, the second one we want to talk about today is design careful transition. So unpack that a little bit for us. Uh, sure. Yeah. And this is getting a little more into the mechanics of, you know, sermon writing more specific. We're, we're more, more in the weeds here with this. But of course, transitions are when you're moving from one segment of the sermon into another segment of the sermon and you design just a little two or three sentence bridge to, to get you smoothly from one segment into, uh, into the other segment and a very, you know, various ways that, that you can do that. You know, often I, I talk about them like signposts where, you know, imagine you're, imagine you're like a, like a tour guide and you've got this tour group that you're walking through the middle of town and, and uh, you've seen different sites. And, and, and at some point you, you stop at a, you stop at a street corner and you say, okay, okay, let me just gather you all together. Here's where we've been. You know, we just walked down this street and this is what we experienced. Here's where we're going now. Mm-hmm. And as we move forward, here's where we're headed. And, uh, and your transition statement is just kind of do that. You, you just kind of, okay, let's, let me collect you all. Let's all, let's all get our minds on the same page here. Here's what we've learned so far. And now here's where we're going next in, in our text. 
it just helps you get there smoothly. It, it helps people to uh, helps people to follow what you're doing. It, it helps make the sermon clear in, in people's minds. So it's a it's a recapitulation of where you've been, a roadmap of where you're going. Mm-hmm. Is there a connection of where you've been to where you're going in that? Uh, hopefully, yeah. Uh, hopefully, where, where you can say, um, we learned so far that God answers our prayers. But what about those times when it feels like our prayers go unanswered? Well, how do we handle that? Well, let's let's continue in our text because the next three verses are going to address that very thing. And and something else I did there that that's probably worth mentioning is is using questions. Often throwing questions in your transition helps. We've learned this so far, but it but there's still a question lingering. And so now let's continue and address that next. Asking the questions, I think, also helps re-engage the audience to the sure to the sure. event, as you said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's draw this around and now a little bit more personally mm-hmm. as we move through. Yeah, yeah. Where we've been. Good. Mm-hmm. So designing careful transitions. You do want to be careful to cross the street safely. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm thinking of, you know, downtown and the lights and the walk sign or don't walk sign <laughs> or the blinking walk sign. And how much are we hurrying across the intersection versus mm. moseying across the intersection, <laughs> right. whatever it is. It's like, yeah. And you don't want to lose any of your group along the way. It, yeah, exactly. You want to you want to keep them everybody all together. Make sure everybody gets over there. <laughs> <It's good. laughs> yeah, I that's, love it. That's exactly right. Okay, so that's uh, lesson number two then from this third session of our discussion with Dr. Daniel Overdorf about his book, A Better Preaching. So we've talked about expanding your multicultural awareness, and that's not only expanding it for yourself, but also helping your congregation to designing careful transitions to that people know the roadmap, where they've been, and bringing them across that bridge from one. Good stuff. Third uh, lesson this morning, or third exercise as it is from your book, Dr. Overdorf, that we're going to talk about today is craft evocative words. Evocative words. Now that sounds dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, I guess it, I guess it could be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what we're talking about here is to to use words that uh, that engage people. Um, words that evoke. Words that are experiential. Words that uh, build pictures. You know, in people's minds. And, uh, and this is not, you know, so some people may do this naturally. Some people are naturally good writers. Uh, naturally, they're evocative speakers. But even for those of us who are not, it can be fairly easily learned. In one sense, it's just a matter of being intentional about the words that we choose. Mm-hmm. In, you know, and in, in a simple starting place is just say, let me, let me choose as descriptive nouns and verbs as I can. You know, if I'm telling a story, I, I don't just mention a tree. Well, it's a, it's a weeping willow. Not just a dog; it's a thirteen-year-old uh, Chihuahua who trots with a limp. You know, or, or I'll, I've done this exercise sometimes with preachers. I'll say, "Let's be talking about a, a better verb." I could, I could, I could say, um, you know, when I was a when I was a sophomore in high school, I, I walked into the principal's office. Okay, your verb there is walked, which is not horrible, but I say, give me a better verb. You know, what, what's a better verb than walked into the principal's office? And, and I just have people start, you know, throwing them out. Well, I, I marched. Into the principal's office, I strutted, you know, into the principal's office, uh, or maybe I moseyed, or maybe I crawled, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking and... I slumped, yeah. you know. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Like, you know, I'm, I'm afraid. Exactly. The, the words say yeah. something different about what exactly. you're doing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. When I say I walked in, it's kind of like sharing information. But if I say I strutted in, well, now I'm building a picture mm-hmm. and I'm communicating something much more. And, and all we did was just say, "What's a better verb?" And so I'll, I'll tell preachers, you know, just. Go go through your sermon notes or your sermon manuscript and um, pick ten nouns and pick ten verbs 
that you can just make more descriptive. Mm. And just doing those little things, it, it helps your sermon come to life better and connect better. The challenge I see in that, as we go back to like what we talked about last week in Sessions Notes, Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to have less notes than I'm going to be writing out a creative, evocative words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and what so, I would uh, and what I would say, and I should have mentioned this probably in our last conversation. I like writing out a manuscript in preparation. Mm. I, I think it's a good discipline to to get get our thoughts clear and, and to get them clear on paper. But then what we actually bring in the pulpit with us, you know, I, I think most of the time we'd be better off leaving the manuscript on the desk and bringing less with us. But as we're crafting that manuscript, kind of go through it and, and choose the most evocative words that we can. And with us not bringing the manuscript in the pulpit with us, we may not remember all of them. <laughs> uh, we, we won't. We won't remember all of them word for word. We'll remember a lot of them. You know, when I when I get to telling that story about my dog, I'll remember, well, I'm not just going to say dog. I'm going to say 13-year-old Chihuahua. Or, or when I talk about climbing a tree as a kid, I'm going to remember to say, no, when I climbed that weeping willow that was out in the front yard, you know. We'll remember more of those specific words than what we give ourselves credit for. That's good. And it is. I think it's important to remember. And, of course, you can correct me if I'm wrong in this, but um, we're finding our evocative words. We also need to make sure they're understandable. Sure, sure. I I find myself, you know, like the more I'm engaged in academics, the more I want to use these big (laughs) words. Um, But, yeah, Yeah, you got to be careful of that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So we talked about expanding your multicultural awareness, designing careful transitions, and crafting evocative words. I really appreciate bringing the text to life with these excellent, excellent stuff. So our fourth exercise in today's session on Dr. Daniel Overdorf's book, One Year to Better Preaching, 52 Exercises to Hone Your Skills, is to consider the text's literary form. Now, Dr. Overdorf, you know, for folks who maybe they did not come through a Bible college setting or what have you, literary form, what's important about that? What is that? Why is um, that important? Yeah, know? that's a, and I appreciate you asking that, that question, because what, what I, I believe people intuitively know this, even if they don't know that they know this, mm-hmm. <laughs> that we, um, we interpret messages differently depending on what form they are. Mm-hmm. Okay? So even just in our everyday life. If I were to start this conversation with, you know, roses are red and violets are blue, uh, well, you, you know, there's a poem coming and we, we hear a poem differently than, you know, if I had said uh, yesterday morning uh, as, as I was walking out of church, Fred stopped me and, and Fred said, hey, like, you know, I'm telling something that actually happened, mm-hmm. which I listened to differently than I would listen to once upon a time in a land far, far away. Okay, you know, there's uh, like a fable coming or, or a uh, fairy tale coming. And you hear that differently than you hear me describing my conversation at church yesterday and how you listen to a poem. Um, we, just, we, we intuitively know, uh, you know, if I were to start a joke, <laughs> two to, 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 to ducks and an elephant walk into a bar, you know, okay, you're going to listen to that differently. So, so I think intuitively we know that. Uh, now, the Bible is written using several different literary forms. There is parable. There is prophecy. There is proverb. There's uh, apocalyptic literature. There's prophecy. Uh, there is historical narrative, uh, actual unfolding of events. And so and so the point here is that I'm going to listen to historical narrative or actual events. I'm going to listen to that differently than I listen to a parable uh, and differently than I listen to a poem. And so that has implications for how I interpret passages, uh, but then also the implications for how I preach them. You know, for example, if I'm preaching a psalm, uh, I know that's poetry. What I'm getting typically in poetry is... Um, 
I'm, I'm getting images, I'm getting emotions, I'm getting symbolism. Where you know, God, God is God is my fortress. Well, I think that's an image. I, I don't think if I were able to see God, I don't think I'd see an actual fortress built out of wooden logs or you know. But it's it's an image, you know. We don't uh, see the keep from the Lord of the Rings or anything. Like right, that. right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but but so I preach that, and, and I probably if I'm preaching a psalm, I'm not going to preach it with a, just a series of logical arguments. Like maybe I preach Romans. If I'm Romans, I'm probably preaching a series of logical arguments. But I'm preaching Psalms is probably more series of emotions. You know, God, God, where where are you, oh God? Turn your ear to me. I, I feel you've turned away from me. Where where are you? Listen to me. That's emotion. And, and so I'm preaching that. And in the beginning of the sermon, I'm like, you know, where where is God? Th- those times when you feel like your prayers don't even get past the ceiling. Where, where is He? Where, where, has God forgotten us? But then the Psalm progresses. Um, but Lord, I remember. Lord, I remember your faithfulness. I remember uh, what you've done. And uh, so then we bring that back to our people. Yeah, we feel like God is, is, has forgotten us, but but hold on a second. Let's 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 remember. Let, let's let our mind roll back over our lives and over the generations, and, and let's remember God's faithfulness. And then the psalm goes, uh, and so therefore, Lord, uh, therefore I will trust. Therefore I will follow. And then we bring that back to our people. And so that that's that's a that's a that's a flow of emotion, not not a flow of logic. It's a flow of emotion. And so I'm going to preach the psalm, you know, in that way because I recognize. It's poetry, and I'm going to understand and preach poetry differently than I would a proverb or I would, uh, you know, a logical argument or even historical narrative. Good. As you were talking about that, I, w- I wonder if that's why us are afraid to the gospel letter or yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. we're uncomfortable with right. the poetry of it. Or, right, right. Uh, yeah, or or if God's grace has the law code, you know, law mm-hmm. that, 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 sure. things that those in, uh, who have been in Christ for a while understand these things. You know, law code is still applicable I and mean, still important right, for us right. to know what have you. Right. But we avoid it. Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. Why do we avoid it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it it frightens us. We we don't know how to interpret it correctly uh, and understanding. You know, I'm I'm going to interpret and preach law code, Old Testament law code, mm-hmm. uh, differently than I would preach. The parable of the prodigal son. Right, right. Mm-hmm. To know though that when we're preaching that, we've got to remember what it is. You know, it is the law code. So right, right. I, yeah. I appreciate you know mentioning mm-hmm. that law code is different from gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, from what have you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, uh, I appreciate you giving that lesson. You know, for those who don't even really think about literary form of the text, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, like historical context, right. That has a bearing on how we, so it, it's just yeah. good to have those lessons that remind us to show us that way. Mm-hmm. I meant to mention when we were talking about evocative words, it's like talking about some of the words we use in that intro that I read where it talks about the preacher heaving their sermons across, <laughs> the, across the edge of the pulpit. I just think that's yeah. funny. You know, it, it evokes a, right. an image that right. is much more than just the yeah. preacher is speaking to the congregation. You know? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, that was an aside. I, I just came back to that as I'm thinking about the text and upwards. So, yeah. um, okay, so we've talked about today these four exercises from Dr. Daniel Oberdorf's book, One Year to Better Preaching, 52 Exercises to Hone Your Skills. We've talked about expanding your multicultural awareness. Very good to do. Designing careful transitions. People get across the street safely. We want to craft evocative words which is more than just saying he walked, it's saying he confidently or something along those lines mm-hmm. to give the idea of more. Than... 
And then considering the text's literary form, a little bit more technical, but very important to remember we're preaching from. So good stuff there, Dr. Overdorf. Thank you so much for those four lessons. But sure. before we go for this session, we do need to ask you about one more bonus lesson that's not a part of the original 52, but something that you added in. So Dr. Overdorf, tell us about incorporating testimony. Why is this important and how, do, how have you used it? Well, it, it's, it's important because um, pe people connect well with other people's stories. And there's all different ways that we can illustrate biblical truth, you know, metaphors, analogies, statistics, quotes, uh, even stories that are maybe just out there somewhere about people we don't actually know. But, but, but when somebody who's in our community, somebody who's a part of, of our church family uh, stands up and says, hey, let me, let, me, let, let me tell you how I've seen this in my life. It's just there's, there's a depth there. There's a connection there that I'm afraid we don't incorporate. We don't use uh, like, like we should. And uh, so, there, yeah, there's, there's real power and you know, you're, you're preaching on some topic or preaching about some struggle or, you know, preaching about some truth of God. And, you know, there's somebody in your church who has experienced this and has, has lived this out to be able to bring their story into your sermon. Yeah, it, it, it brings just brings such a great connection and such a great picture of, uh, of God's truth being lived out in our, in our own church family. And uh, yeah, and, and logistically, you know, there's some who. Would say, yeah, okay, you, you, you can just tell the story for me, <laughs> maybe, you know, which which is good. But if they're up for telling it themselves, uh, maybe live right there, or you know, a, a lot of churches will even video them. It's maybe a little less intimidating for the person telling their story. And if you need three takes, you know, you, you can. Or if you need to edit a little bit, you know, you you can. But 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 how, however it's done, you know, incorporating the stories of stories of of people from your own community. Mm. It, it builds community. It not only illustrates truth, it builds community. In this one, I'm seeing so much connection of things we've already discussed. You know, for mm. example, expanding awareness. Um, mm. You know, one person's testimony is not everybody's testimony. It's, it's right. their unique experience. Sure. Um, and it's not something necessarily we all need to have uh, mm -hmm. exactly that way. But, it, you know, how the Lord worked in one person's way. Uh, the, the other yep. thing that I was thinking of, though, was something hearkening uh, back to what we talked about last week. Uh, assembling a feed forward group is that I imagine mm -hmm. in that feed forward group, you're mm -hmm. hearing some of these stories and yeah, absolutely. And, and you could say, Oh, you know, Hey, I'm, I really want to emphasize this point. You had a great story about that. Yeah. Would you mind telling that story? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In my own life, I look back and I think about uh, like the, the context that brought me to, to Christ and ultimately to Bible college and what have you, the minister knew that story that was going on in my life. And, you know, mm -hmm. we want you to come forward and represent that. It was part of a mission. We want you to, come mm -hmm. forward. We want you to go ahead and tell about the mission yeah, trip yeah, and then what yeah. the Lord did in your life there. Mm -hmm. And I had never spoken in front of anybody in my life. I was terrified, uh, but <laughs> at the same time had the manuscript, right? Yeah. Chose the evocative words. I, I, I think <laughs> God was doing that as opposed to me. Yeah. But the response from the, crowd the audience that folk in mm -hmm. powerful because they heard the story and they saw yeah, it from yeah. somebody that was just oh yeah there's just there's just an authenticity to that that yeah. uh you know it, it doesn't have to be polished it doesn't have to be perfect but there's there's just the authenticity the depth that you're you're hearing a person's story from them i think the thing that's scary about uh incorporating a testimony you can help us address this is <laughs> there are some people who think they have a testimony to share and really they just don't need to be talking at all yeah, they, yeah. they talk way too much 
yeah, uh, yeah. So how do we how do we guard against that kind of a thing, or how do you deal? Yeah, with that? well, if, it, if somebody shouldn't be giving it, then you know you have to, in, in a tactful but firm way, say, yeah, this 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 isn't the right venue for this. You know, with somebody who maybe will talk a little too much, <laughs> um, you know, that, that's where a video may be helpful. Edit you can pare down. Uh, also, you know, and, and honestly, I'd say this with anybody who does it, especially live, uh, have them write it out ahead of time. And, and and you read through it, Stick to and it. refine yeah. it yeah and uh yeah encourage them that this okay this th th this is what you need to tell uh, what, what we have on paper here and even have them practice it in front of you that uh you know write it out ahead of time let me help you work through this okay now practice it let, let, let's talk through it <laughs> i don't want all that work to do <laughs> <laughs> but you're right I, that, yeah. that's important if we're going to let somebody be up in the pulpit and addressing the crowd then if it, mm. what they're going to say is yeah it, yeah uh, it's not off the wall yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course i say that and uh, i already off the wall all <laughs> We all do from time to time. <laughs> well, Dr. Overdorf, this has been great. Uh, again, really appreciate you offering us your time to do the series of four alumni university, essentially, uh, lessons on <laughs> on your book, One Year to Better Preaching, to two exercises to hone your skills. And if you're interested in getting a copy of Dr. Overdorf's book, feel free to go over to Amazon.com and search for One Year to Better Preaching or, or just search for Neil Overdorf by name, O-B-E-R-D-O-R-F, and you'll find not only One Year to Better Preaching, but several of the books Dr. Overdor has written. And it's been great to to learn from you. I really appreciate you taking the time to to teach us who, to grow better, not only in our homiletic skill, but in our speaking skill. A lot of these things you've mentioned, cultural awareness, transitions, uh, evocative words, those are really important for anybody who's speaking in the homiletic profession. So, Dr. Overdorf, thank you so much for uh, giving us your time today and sharing these lessons. And we're going to look forward to next week's lesson four on, well, we'll just say that there are four more uh, mm -hmm. exercises and ones. coming from Dr. Overdorf. Daniel, thank you so much again for yeah. being our guest for uh, helping yeah. us learn. You're, you're welcome. I appreciate the invitation and have enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. God bless you. Yeah, you as well. The Sojourner Podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University. Edited by Kara Husky. Podcast graphics by Rachel Woolard. Music by Loyal Love. Tune into other Sojourner Podcasts dropping normally weekly on most of your favorite podcast channels. Thanks for listening. <music>